and marriage, love and marriage go together like a horse and carriage. This I tell you, brother, you can't have one without the other. Didn't the team do a great job on that song? Seriously. They were awesome. We just experienced Frel Williams' song, Happy, Happy. And I'm curious, how many of you know married couples that would pick that song as the description of their marriage? Because I'm happy. Yeah. Not so many, right? Isn't that interesting? It's just really sad, if we're honest, that for all of us, some of the time, and for most of us, more often than not, marriage is just missing something. It's not being experienced by many in the way that God ultimately designed it to be experienced. I mean, God looked down and he said, it's not good, and then he created that first marriage relationship, and he goes... Now that's good. And Adam and Eve, naked in the garden, said, because I'm happy. You know, I mean, it was like a good deal. Most people aren't experiencing it that way these days. If we're really honest, we've, we've got this internal dissatisfaction with the marriages that we have for those of us who are married. And, and it's just not measuring up to what we feel like it was designed to do in our lives. And we could commiserate about that, and we could, you know, give all kinds of examples for that. But, but I think the more important question is why? Why are so few people experiencing marriage as God ultimately intended to be experienced? Why are so few people ultimately experiencing the fullness, the goodness that God said should come through it? And, and the good news is God's given us an answer, and the answer can literally transform our marriages. Turn them around. Mine, yours, and everyone's. And for those of you who are single, and I, I, I know, there are some people who actually hear when I, uh, that I hear about who, when I announce a marriage series, they're single, they de- decide to go somewhere else or not come at all. And I want you to know, I, I get it, but that's the wrong move because marriage happens to be the most intense place that relationships are done, and any principle that applies to marriage can be applied and beneficial in any relationship of life. You don't have to be married or planning to get married to benefit from relationship principles, but when we focus in on the intense fire of a marriage relationship, if these principles can help there, they can help anywhere. I just encourage you to apply them to your relationships. But for those of us who are married, we need to know why it's not measuring up. And that's what we're going to focus on this weekend in this series. The 50 years are always the hardest. Here's the truth that I want you to see. Marriage is never going to rise to the level of God's design. Marriage is never going to rise to the level of our God-given desires for marriage apart from a certain reality, and that reality is God's empowering. God's 
the power source for being able to love in a way that makes marriage what he called it good in the end. Here's the simple bottom shelf way to look at this. Only God can empower truly successful and fulfilling relationships of any kind, especially as close as marriage. And I, I want to show you this in a passage that really outlays the whole idea of relationships in a great way. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 and, and following. Talk about every relationship of mankind and, and how we're supposed to build them upon submission. We're supposed to give ourselves to the others and we're supposed to stop being self-focused. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, the Bible says. And then it goes through and it talks about every relationship. It talks about marriage, the wife and the husband. Then it talks about parenting to the parents. Then it talks about kids responding in the family to the parents. And then it even talks about authority versus, you know, no authority relationships later on. And it's just a real big passage on relationships. But if you don't know the context of this passage... You're going to try and apply every truth and principle in these verses with no success at all. Because the context provides the idea that none of this can happen apart from God's power. And, and so I want to back up into the context of Ephesians, this relationship passage. In fact, I want to start all the way back at the beginning of chapter 5. And in fact, I'll read you the first two verses, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children... And live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I mean, beautiful language, great words. Most people read those verses and say, next, next. You've got you to think about this. You know what verses 1 and 2 of Ephesians 5 are saying? So here's the thing. Just as a human child tends to pattern themselves after their human father. If you're going to be a child of God, then you need to pattern yourself after God. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. Do you know what it's saying? You need to start acting more like God. Oh, that's easy. Check. Next. I mean, seriously? That's an impossible thing. Now, some of us come off like we think we're God, but the rest of us are on to you. You know? You're really not who you think you are. And then it says, and you need to love as Jesus. And that sounds simple enough. Yeah, I love as Jesus. But here's what Jesus did. He set apart every right. He set apart every opportunity. He set apart every gift, not to serve his own interests, but to serve the interests of God the Father and us. He sacrificed himself for us. And then it says, love like that. Well, that's, not, that's impossible. None of us are going to be like God, and none of us are going to Love like Jesus on our own, which is why context is so important. God tells us how we can ultimately fulfill these principles in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. He says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Here, context is important. It says, do you want to really become more like God the Father? Do you really want to love more like Jesus? Then you need to be connected to the right power source. He says, you're... you're giving yourselves over to the control of the wrong things. And here it says, don't give yourself over to the control and influence of wine. If you get pulled over and you're intoxicated, the police officer gives you a ticket for what? Driving under the influence. That's what I'm saying. And when you're influenced by alcohol, it starts, it starts deterring your personality a little bit. It starts deterring your choices. It starts to undercut your discipline. It starts to impair your abilities a little bit. And you're under its influence. And the Bible says when you're under the influence of something that takes over for you from this world, 
what happens is it leads to debauchery. It leads to immorality and sin. It, it leads to self-indulgence. And simply, you won't be imitating God. You'll be imitating the opposite of God. You won't be imitating the love of Jesus. You'll be imitating the opposite of the love of Jesus because you're surrendering to the wrong influences. And all of us, in one way or another, are surrendering to the wrong influences. But he says, if you want to really become more like God the Father and love more like Jesus, then what you have to do is instead of being controlled by the influences that drive most people, you need to surrender and give yourselves over to the controlling influence of God's Spirit. Be being filled. It's a continuous, present tense experience. Be being filled with God's Spirit. You need the right power source if you're going to be more like God, love more like Jesus. And it's in this context then that Ephesians 5.21 is stated. It says, so when you're being controlled by God instead of the wrong things, then you can do relationships right. In fact, you can fulfill the obligation of relationships, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You're going to ultimately give yourself not to self-absorption and self-obsession. You're going to give yourself to the interests of others. This will be true of wives, it says. It will be true of husbands, it says. And it goes on. You see, the right power source. I happen to be a fan of technology. I'm a big fan of technology, and most of us have smartphones. Not all of us, but most of us have smartphones here. And they're very, they're very interesting, phenomenal, amazing little devices. We can connect to people around the world. We can connect to one another. I can't believe it. I used to, I'm a little older, and there used to be this show called The Jetsons, right? Anyone remember The Jetsons? Oh, my gosh. They used to, like, talk to each other in little handsets and all this stuff, and we'd go, yeah, right. I had to go out of town a little bit this week, and, and I was talking to my wife on my phone. Hey, babe, how you doing? Good, how you doing? Great. And then we just stare at each other. You know? It's an amazing device. And yet it becomes worthless when it runs out of battery. How many of you have ever run out of battery and had no power source with your smartphone? Yeah, absolutely. It's ridiculous. Get a Mophie. I mean, get something to charge it up. A smartphone with all of its abilities becomes worthless, incapable of functioning when it doesn't have the right power source. And this is the problem with our relationships. This is the problem with our lives. We're not connected to the right power source. This is why we don't do relationships well. We're not doing it. Now, all of that that was said in Ephesians 5 and that I said to explain it, Jesus said in one verse in John 15, 5, look what he says. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit, but apart from me you can do nothing. Jesus says, I'm the source of life, and as a branch has to be hooked to the vine in order to produce fruit, so you have to be hooked to me if you're going to produce fruit. But if you're not, you can do nothing. And too many of us are trying to do relationships without him, without his power. And they're going to fail and fall to the ground. If God's not empowering your relationship, it's not what it's supposed to be, and something is going to be missing. And now we're all the way back to my introduction. Didn't I say, if we're honest, all of us would say something's missing? It is missing. The right power source, we're not plugged into it. In fact, it goes back to, and I'll give them as an example, Adam and Eve in the garden. They were the first and only couple to truly function in marriage the way God designed it, but it was soon to fail. A couple of verses from Genesis 2 and Genesis 3. The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper, a partner, 
Someone to walk through life with him, side and side, suitable for him. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. I mean, they will do life in oneness. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Everything was going great. And then, all of a sudden, something happened. They decided that they knew better than God. They decided what they thought was more true than what God said. And so, even though God said not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it was unnecessary, they chose to eat it. They disobeyed God. And here's what that act was. It was an act of saying, God, you want to be at the center of my life, and you tell me life will be better if you're at the center. But I want to be at the center of my life, and I believe that my life will be better with me at the center. It went from a God focus to a self focus, and what happened? Everything fell apart. Genesis 3.8, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. This was an interesting moment because every single day before this, when God showed up to walk in the garden, they were walking with him, experiencing his love and his peace and his power, experiencing the beauty of the world he created and the relationship he created. But then this day, they were hiding from him. They were disconnected from him. They heard him, but they didn't get to experience him. Why? Because they pushed him to the outskirts of their life so they could be at the center. And it also then ruined their relationship. Instead of them focusing on each other, they had to focus on themselves and they hid behind the bushes. They were actually trying to cover themselves with fig leaves and then they started pointing their fingers and blaming each other because what they needed to do was they needed to protect and defend themselves because they were at the center and they always pushed the other away. Do you know what the problem with relationships are? Do you know what the problem with marriages? Do you know why something is missing? Here it is in one word, selfishness. The problem is selfishness. 1 Corinthians 13 is a passage that's often read in weddings. It may or may not have been read in your weddings, but I mean, it's, trust me, from a guy who's done a ton of weddings, 1 Corinthians 13, it's in all of them, almost. Listen to just a couple of verses, verses 4 and 5. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. Can I just stop here for a minute? I... Done a ton of weddings. A ton of weddings. And, uh, you know, as someone who's traveled a little bit of the road of life and done these weddings, it's really weird to look at the eyes of the young people who are getting married when these words are being read. You know? And I get the privilege. You, you, most people just sit in the audience. I get to look at their eyes. You know, love is patient. Love is kind does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude. And you should see their eyes because they're looking at each other. That, that's us. That's us. He's looking at her going, that's you. And she's looking at him and she's going, that's you. And I, I'm vomiting in my mouth the entire time. <laughs> they're living in a delusion you thought Frozen was a fantasy. I mean, this is nuts. I mean, just give it some time. And then look at it. It goes on in, in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is not self-seeking. Well, no wonder none of us are experiencing it. Because the reason we stand at that altar is we go, 
You make me happy. You bring me joy. You make my eyes sputter with excitement. You are going to take your clothes off tonight. This is exciting. I mean, it's about me, 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 but true love is not self-seeking. True love is not easily angered. True love keeps no record of wrongs. Let me just tell you something about marriage. It's not patient. It's not kind. It does not envy. It does envy. It does boast. It is proud. It is rude. There's a ton of self-seeking. There's a ton of anger, and they never forget. (laughs) Something's missing. The problem is that it's selfish. By the way, I forgot to ask, is it okay that we get a little honest this weekend? Uh, Is that okay? Let me just tell you, it's easier to put on love, unselfishness, in the early years of a relationship. You know, when not a lot at stake, you're not going through hard times, you're dating. The toughest question is who will pay the bill? And by the way, gals, if the guy's saying you want to pay, you you might want to question whether or not there's some self-seeking going on that. The same thing on the other side. But it's easier in the early days. But let me just tell you, when you get into real life, it gets harder. And I, I, you know, Roxanne and I have been married 34 years. This June, we'll celebrate our 35th. And I just have to tell you, I mean, we know about this deal, this problem. Our marriage, you know, misses things. We don't live up to the full intention of God's design or our desires. And it always boils back to this root of selfishness. And I'm just going to be honest about myself Um, because, you know, it's my issue. Roxanne and I were dating. We were in college, and we really fell in love pretty quickly. We were best friends that fell in love. And and I remember walking around campus one day, and I'm I'm being honest. I'm not, I mean, I'm not fabricating a bit. I'm being totally honest. She looked up at me with her young and beautiful eyes, and and she said to me, and this is absolutely true, she said, you're perfect. And I'm going to tell you, I immediately fell in love with her. Um, She was the very first person I had ever met that saw me in the same way I saw myself, right? I mean, I looked down at her and I said, you're so right. You know, I was like, I am. Here's the challenge. As we got further into our relationship, she was no longer so naive and delusional. And she actually woke up to the reality that I was pretty much into myself, you know? I I had this problem with selfishness. And I'll just give you one example. We could spend days on this because I'm a failure in this area, but I'll just give you one example that kind of highlights it with a groan. How many of you have kids? How many of your kids? Okay. And for those of you who don't have them, you were one at one time, so you can imagine this. You know, what happens in the middle of the night... When you have kids in the home, what happens to the night? They start screaming, they start crying, and they need an adult. That's the problem with kids. They're so needy, aren't they? I mean, seriously, I mean, an adult needs to get up and help them. And so here, I don't know what happens in your house, but here's what happened in mine. You know, take it easy on me. No rocks, please. I, I, I would pretend that I didn't hear them. <laughs> I would... I became an expert at faking sleep. I mean, I, the, I could do the drool thing and everything. I mean, she'd think, he's asleep, right? And so, because she's a good 
mom, she would ultimately get up and go help the kids. And then when she would get up, and I didn't have to, I'd, I'd look at the ceiling, stare into the darkness, and I'd say, because I'm happy, so very happy. <laughs> I, I, if, let me tell you a couple of things first. I know it's bad, but at least I'm being honest, right? I'm not pretending to be something I'm not. I'm being honest. And, and let me tell you one last thing. You're just as bad as I am. You might have done different things, but you're just as selfish as I am. And as it turned out, and I, I'm going to be really honest both directions in this talk, I wasn't the only selfish one in our marriage. Oh, I was the worst by far, I admit that. But I wasn't the only one. Because you see, Roxanne tended to view life from her little exclusive perch in the world. Looking down at her kingdom, of which I was a part. And she tended to push for my life to be lived exactly how she wanted it to be lived. Anyone married to something like that? I'll give you an example of this. You know, one of the reasons I love eating out is because there are no dishes Ugh, hate dishes. And she'd ask me, she'd go, honey, would you, and she'd do it very sweetly, honey, would you do the dishes? And I'd say, no problem. And I'd say it very sweetly, and I'd say it very emphatically. I didn't mean a word of it, but I said, no problem. And then I'd go on doing what I was doing, you know, something important like sitting on a couch watching TV or something, and, and and then she would, in a couple minutes go, I, I thought you said you'd do the dishes. I said, I did say I'd do the dishes. She says, well, why aren't you doing the dishes? I said, I'm going to do the dishes in my own good time. Now, let me ask you a question. When do you think she wanted them done? On my time or hers? Why? Because she's the Lord of her universe. We all are. And, of course, our experience is common. We all start out in our relationships with Mr. and Miss Wonderful. And let me just say this up front. If you're in a dating relationship, you're, you're engaged, maybe, and the person you're engaged to is not Mr. Wonderful or Miss Wonderful, run for the hills. It only gets worse. <laughs> if they can't even be Mr. and Miss Wonderful in the dating or engagement time, you're in serious, serious doo-doo. Because... Not too far down the road, you're going to start discovering that they're wonderful, all right, wonderfully selfish, and it works both ways. They're going to start discovering that you are wonderfully selfish as well. And then both sides are going to view the other person as being more selfish than they are and the reason for the damage and destruction going on in the relationship. And the war begins. Selfishness is a problem. And if you look to the root, and this is an important thought in all the fun, if you look to the root, in any problem in marriage, you're going to find selfishness glowing like a neon light. It's the problem. And you want to know what the rub is? We can't help it. We can't help it. Because you see, selfishness is our nature. It's our wiring. It's our bent Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. 
And the reality is that selfishness is the essence of sin. Selfishness is the essence of sin. Sin is about making self the center of the universe, setting God aside and putting us on the throne. It's about making all of life, including all of my relationships, even my relationship with God, about me. This is why many of us pray like we do and why we get mad at God when he doesn't fulfill our wish list because life is about me and everyone else is here to serve us and that's exactly the problem with marriage. And it started in the garden with Adam and Eve as I've already mentioned but look exactly what drove her and him to set God aside. When the woman, Genesis 3, 6, saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, the evil one had told her she'll no longer need God because she'll be her own God knowing good and evil. When she saw all this to be true, she took some and ate it. She gave to her husband, and he did the same thing. Interesting thing. God said the tree wasn't good for food, that there was no pleasure that would come from it, but rather death would come from it, and that it wouldn't give her wisdom. It would destroy her life, and yet she saw it differently. She put herself at the center instead of God, and so did the husband, and it blew their life away. And our nature comes from them. Selfishness is the problem with our relationships, and it gets worse because selfishness is also our natural defense. It's our defensive reaction to the world. James 4 1 says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within? Do you know why we go to war with the people we love the most, go to war with other countries? You know why? Because of the desires we have, and they're different from the desires they have, and because we see ourselves as more important than the person. And their desires that we're fighting with, we go to war. And very often it's with the people we love the most. And it causes hurts and wounds and winners and losers and on it goes. And and it's our defense because when we get hurt or rejected or we get beat out for something that we really want in life, we start defending ourselves. We start trying to heal the wound of our pain. And we do it by focusing more and more and more on ourselves. We start thinking... We deserve to take care of ourselves. We deserve this for ourselves because no one else is focusing on us and so we make us number one to heal the wounds. And plus, the pain that we experience in life robs us of what we need most for relationships and that's trust because you see, when we get hurt in life, we start blaming God for not protecting us and we stop trusting him and when someone hurts us, people hurt us, we start realizing giving ourselves in trust to other people brings pain and so we stop trusting other people and and we finally get to the place where there's only one person we believe we can trust and that's ourselves. And so we serve ourselves, we focus on ourselves, we live for ourselves, and we trust ourselves and no one else. But of course, all that selfishness leads to the exact opposite of what we're looking for. Because selfishness leads to greater unhappiness, not happiness. It leads to greater loneliness, not greater love. It leads to greater emptiness, not greater fulfillment. Selfishness leads to self-pity and bitterness and anger and disillusionment. The great problem in all of our relationships, in marriage, in life, is selfishness. There it is. But there's good news in this because God's given us a solution. And what I want to do is I want to give you the solution. It's a a solution, but I want to give it to you in parts so you can kind of manage your thought processes around it. So I want to give it in three parts. And here's the first part of the solution. If you want to overcome that which is destroying your ability to do love with God and others well, to do marriage well, then it starts with knowing God. It starts with knowing God. This is the most important thing you can consider. 
if we're going to do life right, marriage right, we have to go back to where the train derailed. And where did it derail? Back where Adam and Eve stopped knowing God. They pushed him out of their lives. Look at 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Dear friends, let us love one another. And here's the logical reason. Love comes from God. So everyone who is going to love the way God designed it has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. We have to be knowing God if we're going to get this whole marriage thing right. You see, the reason Jesus came and died for us was so that we could escape the prison of selfishness that we find ourselves in. We don't want to keep hurting others. We don't want to keep pushing them away, but we can't help ourselves because self is the single most important thing in our lives. It's, it's the motivation behind all that we do by nature. So Jesus came to die so we could stop doing life alone, which God says isn't good, and we could start doing life together again, which God said is so good. Jesus came and died so we could genuinely know and experience love, God's and others. I mean, look at 2 Corinthians 5.15. And he died for all. He's talking about when he died on the cross for the sin and guilt of the world. He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. That's the prison of darkness. That's destructive reality that's killing our lives and relationships. He died so that those who live no longer live for themselves, but they live for him who died for them and was raised again. You know what I say? He died so that we could go back where Adam and Eve went wrong. He died so that we could once again put God at the center because with God at the center, like a smartphone plugged into a power source, we become valuable again. We start working right again. We start functioning right again. If we're going to overcome selfishness, we need to be knowing God. Let me ask you, has this been your experience? A lot of people think of God in terms of religion, like, I go to church and you know, I kneel and stand and kneel and stand. I genuflect. I sing the songs. I open the book once in a while. I'm not that bad. It's not the point. Because you're still doing what? You're going to church so you can get from God. You're, you're doing the stuff so you get from others, so life goes well for you. That's not the point at all. Jesus died so that we could be set free from the prison of selfishness and we could truly and genuinely love in the right way. But it only comes when we know God. Do you know him? 1 John 1, 9 says if we're going to know him, we have to acknowledge that that we're the problem, that we've sinned. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Bible tells us that if we really then want to know him, then we have to receive the only gift that makes it possible to know him, and that's forgiveness and love of Jesus. We have to call on the name of the Lord so that we'll be saved. And this isn't about catechism or baptism or communion. This is about knowing God, do you? And does the way you love show it? Just before I give you the download of the other principles here, I, I just think it's important that we take a moment to pray. Because I think some people here need to plug into the power source. They need to, to invite Jesus into their life. And so just before I give you the following principles, would you just bow with me in a word of prayer? And even if you're watching online, if you just bow just a moment in prayer. And if you're ready to experience and know him, just take my words in this prayer and make them yours. And just say, God... It's not hard for me to confess that I've sinned against you. I have put me at the center. I am selfish. But I need you at the center. 
Jesus, I believe you died on the cross so that I could be forgiven. By faith, I'm claiming it. And I believe you rose again so that I could have new life and by faith, I'm receiving it. Help me to know you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed with me, there's something I want for you, not from you, but for you. I, I want you to grow in that relationship you just began. And so we've put together some information about next steps that you can take. And the only way we figured it out to get it in your hands is if you tell us that you just prayed with me and you'd like it. And so if you're in one of our live services, we give you these programs and there's this thing we call a connection card and you can fill out your name and address so we can get the stuff to you. And on the bottom, it says, today I prayed to receive Jesus. If you just prayed with me, please let us know. We make it so easy at every exit of our auditorium in all three of our church locations. There's a box that you can put this thing in and put it in there and we'll do the rest. We'll send you the information. And if you're watching online, Northridge On Demand, just hit the what next button right on your computer or tablet screen and we'll do the same for you. But it doesn't stop there because it's not enough just to start knowing God. You also have to keep knowing his power, plugging into his power. There are a lot of people who say, you know, I've done that. I've, I, I prayed 20 years ago and went to church a couple times and did all this different stuff. But you need to know you need to stay plugged into the power source or you will be driven by selfishness claiming that you're doing it in Jesus' name. Have you ever met a person who claimed to be a Christian who was not a good person? Have you ever met that person? Have you ever met someone claiming to be a Christian who was mean and spiteful and hateful and unforgiving and bitter and without peace and broken and messed up? Ever met that person? They're like us, only they're not allowing Jesus to keep empowering transformation. And that's exactly who we'll be unless we do it. So once we're knowing God, then we have to be being, and this is a continual present tense, we have to be being filled with God's Spirit. It requires being filled with God's Spirit, being empowered by God's Spirit, and that might sound mystical but it's not it's just saying god i want you to power my life instead of me i want you at the center and there are two ways to make it happen the first is submission we have to give ourselves over to his influence instead of to our own or to other things ephesians 5:18 don't get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery instead be being filled with the holy spirit submit to one another out of reverence for christ let him empower your ability to invest in others to be unselfish, and it also requires trust. If we're going to be filled with God's Spirit, it requires trusting and living for Him instead of trusting and living for ourselves. Adam and Eve blew it because they trusted themselves instead of God and they lost the power. The only way to fix that is for us to start trusting Him instead of trusting ourselves. Look at Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Stop leaning on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. He'll make your path straight. If Eve and Adam had done this, they would have said, it looks good for food. It looks like it'll bring me pleasure. It looks like it's good for gaining wisdom. But what I understand and what is true are two different things. I'm not touching it because God said not to touch it. You know what would have happened? They would have stayed connected to the power source. And this is our problem. A lot of people go, I know the Bible says this. I know God says that, but... It looks harmless to me. Stop trusting your instincts. They're wrong. Stop trusting your eyes. They're wrong. Stop trusting what you understand. You're finite. You're not capable. And start trusting him. And God's power can continually run through you. And he empowers a very different kind of life. 
a life driven by the right things, God and others, instead of being driven by self. Which leads us to the last thing, the last angle or part of the solution. We have to be knowing God, being filled with his spirit, and then this is how you'll know what's happening. You'll stop serving yourself and you'll start serving one another. The problem in our marriages is that we're serving ourselves. When, when, when the kids would cry in our house and I would fake to be asleep, who was I serving? The kids, because they didn't need me. They needed their mom. No, no, that was my rationalization. I was serving me. You will never build a positive love relationship by serving yourself. It comes from serving one another. Now, this last week, uh, I posted on my Facebook page, and you, you need to know, I, I don't have a regular Facebook deal, a public Facebook page. You know how you guys send friend requests, and then you accept friend requests, and you hurt each other by rejecting friend requests. You're not a friend of mine. I don't like you, and all that different stuff. I don't have one of those. Um, now, there are some people who are, this is weird, there are some people who are faking to be me. I, there are better people to fake. But there are people faking to me, and you, I always know, if someone's using the word beloved in my name, I never say the word beloved, so you know that's not me. And if you ever get a friend request from me, it's not me. I don't want you as my friends. No, that's just that's not the truth. It's not about that. It's, it's just not something I'm in. But I do have a Facebook page. It's a page that you can like so that you get the thoughts that I'm sharing and doing all that different stuff, and I share every week. And by the way, most of you haven't liked my page, and <laughs> it really hurts. <laughs> but I posted on my Facebook page this last week um, something that someone sent to me. I didn't write it. It's anonymous. I don't know who wrote it, but, but listen to it. It's about serving one another. Most people get married believing a myth that marriage is a beautiful box full of all the things that they've longed for. Companionship, intimacy, friendship. The truth is that marriage at the start is an empty box. You must put something in before you can take anything out. There, there is no love in marriage. Love is in people. And people put love in marriage. There is no romance in marriage. You must infuse romance into your marriage. A couple must learn the art and form the habit of giving, loving, serving, and praising, keeping the box full. If you take more out than you put in, the box will be empty. And here's the truth about marriage these days. Most boxes are empty because most people are driven by selfishness. But when you're knowing God and being filled with the Spirit, you start adding to the box. Look at Galatians 5.13. You, my brothers, were called to be free. But don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Because remember, Jesus came to set us free from sin, free from self-indulgence, free from self-obsession. And so don't use the freedom of Jesus to indulge your sinful nature. Rather, use it to serve one another in love. And this is absolutely key for marriage. In Ephesians 5, he says, when you're filled with God's Spirit, you submit to one another. Give up your self-obsession and start serving the interests of others. And if you're married, then Ephesians 5.22 says, wives, you'll do this with your husbands. And verse 25 says, husbands, you'll do this with your wives. And you need to realize that in order for a marriage to be all that God designed it to be, it, it demands that both 
the husband and the wife submit to one another. Imagine how great marriage would be if both people gave up their self-obsession and focus and instead decided they were going to focus on the interest of making the other person's life better. It would be what God designed it to be and what we desire it to be. I know some of you are in tough marriages. I get it. And the reality of what you're going through stems back to selfishness. But sometimes, even though it takes two, sometimes one person deciding to serve the other can become a catalyst to turn the whole thing around. When one person says, I'm no longer going to try and take from you, but I'm going to try and invest in you, that can then transition the whole relationship. Ultimately, one person can change a marriage for two. And I know this because this is what happened with me and God. I had no interest in him whatsoever, but he kept loving me and kept pursuing me. And ultimately, because he was loving me, I was transformed by his love and started loving him back imperfectly. But be careful here because it doesn't always work. God's loved everyone who's ever walked on the face of this earth, and most people have never been transformed by his love. They keep being selfish instead of becoming transformed. And the same thing often happens in a relationship. One person making the right decision can transform a marriage, but it doesn't always work. There are some people who are so selfish, they'll use another person's unselfishness to abuse them, to hurt them, to take advantage of them, to destroy them. And we need to be wise. When someone keeps hurting us and abusing us, we need to be very, very careful about opening ourselves up to self-destruction. But, but we should keep loving them, but sometimes maybe from more of a distance. But, but this principle of serving another person can change the whole deal. And it's hard. I've already been honest with you about me. It's very, very hard. I'm not good at it. But Jesus is great at it. And so this is the lesson. The only way I'm going to celebrate on June 15th, my 35th anniversary, the only way I still have kids that look me in the eye and love me, the only way I have friends that actually adore me and I adore them, the only reason I have a relationship with a ministry like this over time, it has nothing to do with Brad Paul because Brad Paul was born a taker. It has everything to do with Jesus Christ and what he can do in me. And here's the truth, Philippians 4.13. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I can't do marriage. I'm not built for it. But Jesus can. I can't love unselfishly, but, but Jesus can. And here's the conclusion. The marriage that we long for, the marriage we long for is only possible through Christ. Stop struggling to do it on your own. It will always only hurt things because you're doing it selfishly. Start doing it by knowing God, being filled with the Spirit, and then serving one another because then marriage becomes what it was intended to be. And that's when God says it's good. So glad you were here. See you next time. Thank you.